today. So if you're listening on the recording, apparently you win. I need a haircut. I don't, I don't deny that. I'm too lazy to get one. So therefore, this is what you get today. All right. So James chapter 2, we're actually going to pick up, we're going we're gonna to continue within a section that Caleb preached through last week because there's a little bit more, I think there's just a little bit more truth for us to get out of this section of James chapter 2. So start turning toward James chapter 2 verse 8, we'll get to it in just a second, um, but I was just, I was thinking about the things that Caleb was talking about last week because, because James is going to make a point using the example of showing partiality that he was talking about last week. So, we, so, so just to remind us what we were talking about, we were talking about this idea that it is sin for we as the church to show favoritism to different individuals just because of the way that we perceive them. So he's, and, and the example that he gave is if, if one person who has very little walks in and one person who has a lot walks in, don't immediately go and put the person who has a lot in a place of honor because you are more comfortable exalting them. And, and Caleb, I thought, did a really good job of get, getting us in this mindset of who are the people that could walk through the door right now that, that you would just stop in your tracks and immediately Leave whatever conversation you're in to go talk to or to go or to go show some sort of favoritism to. And, and James was describing that kind of, of heart state, that kind of approach to ministry of I'm going to prefer this person because of what they have as sin. And so we need to start there with that understanding. And just as an aside, it kind of left me thinking that can go in many directions. And, and, and we can we can fail at that in our church here at CRC. I mean, even in the opposite direction where sometimes it seems so much easier to just let those who seem like they have it all together. If you're listening on the recording, I'm doing really big sarcastic question, uh, like quotation marks right now. People who seem like they have it all together, leave them to take care of themselves. And we're going to go to where there's the most apparent need. Whereas those who seem like they have it all together can also be struggling inside and need community and need, need to be ministered to just as much. So, so it's, it's a thing that, that we can all fail in if we're not really keenly aware that, that we're to just go and preach the gospel to whoever and, and love and, and have community with whoever God has added to his church. So I want us to remember that that's the theme that James is talking about, but I think there's an important application that he's going to make to how we interact with what James has been saying up to this point, right? Because James, we've, we've talked about this, is a very practical, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I want you not to do, book. So how are we supposed to interact with the, thing, the places where the Bible says, do this, especially when, and he's going to use showing partiality as an example. So if you're in James chapter 2, he's going to make a second point, picking up in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced, convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. 
If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James is saying, now I've been, I've been setting up this point, like this is a thing that can, that can arise in the church. This sin of showing partiality can exist among you. Now, now that I've made a point that, that this one sin that maybe you don't think of as necessarily a sin or something that just hadn't, been, hadn't come to mind as a, a problem that you could have, you, you tend to think of the big ones, right? The don't murder, the don't steal, the don't commit adultery. But, but even just preferring one person over another because of their status or because of the way they look or because of the way they act or because of their, their level of education or because of their social status, like anything like that is also sin. And so, and so he wants to make a point about if you have failed in this area, you have failed the whole law. Right? And he speaks about how that, that fails, that, that, that sin is committed against, and he calls it the royal law. And this royal law is kind of this idea that, where he says that love your neighbor as yourself part. We get that from Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40. It says, but when the Pharisees had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what Jesus was saying, and, and the point that James is trying to make, is that, that these two main concepts, out of those come every other piece of the law that we follow. Every, every single do this that we're given follows out of love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Every don't do this falls from within those two things. Many times uh, in, in the Bible, the way things are structured, you tend to be given kind of a, here's a big picture thought. Maybe you've, maybe you've written a, a paper or, or an article or you've read a newspaper article. If you read a newspaper article, like all the most important things go in the first paragraph and then less important, less important, all the way down. The Bible kind of picks up on this structure sometimes. So when given the law, basically we're, we're given like, here's the big heading. If you're looking at, here's a great example. If you're looking at the qualifications to be an elder, the qualifications to be an elder in the church begin with, an elder should be above reproach. That sounds like perfect and that sounds really overwhelming and that sounds a little bit terrifying, especially if you're supposed to be meeting that standard. But the point being, you, you should be above reproach. But then within that, then it gives you all these details. Here's what it looks like to be above reproach. And all of those things kind of fil filter out from this big picture view. And so, so what James is reminding us is that any of these different little sins that can creep into our lives, that can creep into the church, flow from these big two headings, which means no matter what sin we're, create, we're, we're, we're committing, we can't be dismissive of that sin. We can't set that aside as less important than these other sins that could be committed because all of those violate the big two. That's really what he's trying to say. As, as these sins work their way into our lives or work their way into our churches, and that's what James's real concern is, is this is a thing that can be a problem in the church. 
like throughout the church, the members of the body of Christ. This is a thing that we're seeing way too frequently is James's concern. He's saying, if even this one thing creeps in and you are showing partiality towards somebody else, you've broken the big part of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. The part that Jesus said was the most important. The part that James calls the royal law. Like, like the king part. The part that matters the most. Not saying that all of it doesn't, but it all comes from that. Just like Jesus just said. And so the thing that we have to realize is, is what James is trying to say is, because he's, he's built, made this whole case about showing favoritism and how we shouldn't do that. But even still, it's, it's so tempting, and he, and he uses some of the, the more, you know, flashy examples. Murder, that's one that tends to get a lot of, you know, you, you tend to see, like, stories on the news about murder. You don't tend to see stories on the news about somebody showed favoritism to somebody. But what he's trying to say is, even if you commit just this one sin, if you fail in one area of the law, if you miss one thing, you are guilty of all of it. You have broken the law and are now guilty. So here's the question that I think is really helpful for us to be asking each other. Why does it matter if we're breaking the Old Testament law? What is our relationship to the law now? Because I think a lot of us will also be thinking, doesn't the cross completely negate what the law was? And I think this is an important place for us as a church because, because again, James has lots of do the, I mean, we, I just preached a sermon a couple weeks ago. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, right? Like there's a lot of do this, do this, do this. And, and it's very easy for us to, to lean into the idea of grace and say, look, Jesus has already done everything. There's nothing left for me to do. So I can do what I want until Jesus comes back and, make, comes back and makes everything okay. So what are we supposed to do with this? What is our relationship to the law now? Well, it's, it's really handy because Jesus actually said something about this in Matthew chapter 5. This is verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes on the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot, there's a lot in there. And there's a lot of directions we can go with that. But I do want to make a couple of points about what Jesus says. First, I just love the, the baseline. Don't, don't think that the law is irrelevant now. Right? Jesus, Jesus even doubled down on parts of the law. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you look at somebody in anger, you've already committed murder in your heart. Same with adultery, looking at somebody with lust in your heart. You've become a transgressor of the law. So he doubles down and he says, these, these things that we're called to do are important for us to be called to do. And, and, you, and if anybody relaxes, even the ones that seem unimportant. And I think that, that kind of connects well with what James is saying, because he's saying, 
the sin of partiality that can, that can be shown in the church is a problem. And it's very easy for it to creep in and maybe we don't even notice that we are committing it. And it's easy to dismiss because it doesn't seem like nearly as big a problem as so many of the other things that we could be addressing that are sin. But, one of the things, but what Jesus is saying is if you relax on that and you tell people to just chill out on that one, then you've become a transgressor of the law. And this isn't going to go well for you. Because he says, all of this law, all of this that God has given us, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is still vitally important to us as the church. Sure, the cross affects the way we relate to portions of the law, and we're going to talk about that. But I think, I think one of the things that it, it's... I don't want us as the church and people who, who, are, who believe in grace, because... Because grace is the overarching theme within salvation. And I don't, want to, I don't want us to forget that idea. But grace doesn't leave us to become lazy or relaxed or unafraid to lean into the morality that the Bible has taught us. So he uses this phrase, until all is accomplished, none of this will pass means that, that to be saved by the law would require a righteousness that's impossible to receive. And, and, and I want to I lean into that idea for just a second, because one of the things that he says is, you know, if you relax on these things, and, and, and James starts to make this point when he starts talking about mercy, triumphing over judgment. Um, Jesus is making this point that that we still need the law, and the law is still being used to show us who we are and to show us our need for Christ. And until all is accomplished, until, until Christ comes back and ultimately fixes everything and there is no more sin present within creation, and he lives with us and we with him, until, until all is accomplished, until, until salvation is fully realized, not just, the, not just those he calls, he... He predestines, he calls, calls, he, you know, that one. There gets the point where he glorifies them. That's the one, that's the part I'm getting to. Until the glorifies part. Sorry, I didn't memorize everything today. But until we get to that part where he glorifies, until that work is fully completed, yes, our salvation is complete. Jesus has done all that he needs to do so that we can be saved. Absolutely. But his work in us is not complete until he's glorified us, until we are no longer in, able to be in sin, until he is, he's completely fixed creation and come back and restored our, our relationship with him physically, permanently. Until then, the law still remains important to us. These things that James is reminding us of are still important to us. These things that we're told to do in Scripture are still important to us. I'm going to go ahead and read Romans chapter 2. This is verses 12 through 14. Paul says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law required, they are to themselves even though they do not have the law. What Paul's starting to, the case that Paul's starting to build is that even though we're under grace, the morality, the, the nature that God is pointing us to 
what it is that God requires of us is still present no matter what. Whether we are reading the law or not, the, the standard for morality, the standard for righteousness that God requires is unchanging. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. And that standard that he lives up to remains constant no matter whether we, are, we know the law or we don't know the law. So, so if, if, if we know the law, we are being condemned by the law. To live purely under the law would require, to say, I'm going to get saved based purely on my ability to be obedient to the law. What was it that Jesus said? You have to be more righteous than a Pharisee for that to happen. And I don't need to tell you, that sounds really, really hard. I mean, you're talking about guys who are like buying their spices to cook with and taking a tenth of it off and they're tithing on those and they're memorizing all of the, all of the, all of the law and they're adding all these extra things on top of the law for them to memorize on top of that. Like, like the, and, and I think Jesus is a little tongue-in-cheek when he says that because, because to those same people, you know, he, he condemns them for their belief that their works are going to be what saves them. Because, because the law is an impossible, to, to, be, to be righteous based purely on the law is an impossible thing. And, and the point that Paul's starting to make in Romans chapter 2 is that, is that even those who don't know it are still being condemned by the morality that is present within it. Because that is still the standard that God holds us to because God is himself holy and he is the only standard for holiness. But Paul goes on, Romans 2, this is 15. He says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, speaking, speaking to those who are living out the law without having known the law. It's written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The point that he's trying to make is ultimately the law is what's condemning us. The law is what's reminding us of who we are in light of Christ. And so the point that I think James is trying to make is saying this little thing that seems like such a, an easy thing to excuse falls under this piece of the law that we, he calls the royal law. The biggest part of what God has called us to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're failing in those two, you're failing in the biggest part. And so, and so it would be so easy to take a small sin that can so easily creep into our lives, creep into our hearts and be dismissive of it. But, but even those little things, being, being guilty of even that one little thing, one of those dots or iotas, like you could be perfect. You could keep all those 10 commandments, but if you show favoritism to somebody when they come walking into the church, just based on their appearance or based on their social status or whatever it may be, you're guilty of all of it. Condemned. No hope. That whole, I'm going to get into heaven based on my own righteousness according to the law, it's gone. Finished completely. But look at what James says. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If we put ourselves in the place of judges and say, 
I know who the person is that I should go minister to, or I know who the person is that I should pursue, I know who it is that I should go after, instead of, instead of showing mercy as mercy has been shown to us. We aren't living like Christ. We aren't living like the law that has been written onto our hearts. Unmerciful people are those who neglect to show mercy to others and have received no mercy themselves. But, but for those of us who have Christ, who have, had, who have had Christ change our hearts, who have understood what, what Christ did when he came and he fulfilled the law until, until that work of salvation was accomplished within us, once we, have, once we have seen mercy, once we know what mercy is, we should, we should be the kind of people who then show mercy, right? It's not just, again, going back, be, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Like, we, we, have, we have heard, we have seen what real mercy is. If we have been shown mercy by God, we are the people who are able to show mercy over, over judgment, over saying, you're a lost cause, I'm going to go to this person, I prefer to talk to them. They seem easier to deal with. I'm going to go deal with that person. That's sin. But for one who knows who they are, a transgressor of the law, and I want, and I want us to understand why he's making this point so strongly. If you fail in any one area, you've become guilty of all of it. What's the bottom line that he's trying to say there? It is a level playing field when it comes to us being sinners. There is no, that person's better than this person, this person's worse than that person. If you have broken any portion of this law, you are guilty of all of it. You don't meet the standard. You are not righteous enough to earn your way into the favor of God. It's only those who have had that law written on their heart, their conscious bear, consciousness also bears witness because the law has been written into their hearts. There's been an act that has taken place external to them and external to you and external to me that has changed my relationship to the law where, where I know that the law has condemned me. But because I know that the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross was enough to, to take that sin, that 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 completely broken law that I am guilty of entirely, Jesus' sacrifice was one that was powerful enough to take all of that onto himself in my place so that I am no longer held guilty because of the law, but I, am, I, have, I have his righteousness given to me. Jesus was the only one who was, who was righteous, who met that standard, who did not break even one dot, even one iota of the law. He is the only one who was able to fulfill this perfectly. And it was with his sacrifice that I am able to receive that righteousness that he has given to me because he has shown mercy to me. And if I know this to be true in my life, and this is the point that I want us to get this morning. If we have seen this mercy being shown to us, there should be no reason that we would ever withhold mercy from someone else. Does that mean that we encourage them to continue in their sin? No. Does that mean we say, it's okay the things you've done? No. What that means is we can say, I know why you're doing the things you're doing. I've done things that are just as bad. 
I am just as guilty and undeserving of grace as you are. But having seen this mercy shown to me, I want you to, the, the way that we show mercy as a people is just demonstrative of what it is that Christ has already done for us. And I think that's kind of the big follow-up point that James is trying to help us realize. Because yes, everything that we talked about last week is something that I think can, has very easily crept its way through even CRC at different times. It may just be week to week, it may just be season to season, but it is a, this, this partiality thing can very easily creep in. But I think the point that he's trying to make in kind of this, the back end of this section, that these little things that can creep in undermine everything and destroy everything. And, and we need to be keenly aware of what the standard is and keenly aware of what standard we were measuring up to before Christ showed us mercy. And then look at ourselves and say, am I one to equally distribute mercy as willingly to anyone that I can as Christ has with me? Let's pray. God, for those of us who are saved, who are in Christ, who have known what mercy looks like as you have shown it to us. I pray that our eyes would not be closed off to seeing and understanding and reveling in the overwhelming truth of what it is that you have done for us. God, there are Many times in our, and I know in my life where I can take my salvation for granted or I can take my, my story for granted because it's like, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I haven't done this. So my salvation means less because I wasn't saved out of some hugely. And this reminder serves all of us to remember that we all started from a level playing field, equally sinful, equally broken, equally unrighteous, equally undeserving of salvation. But because you, in your mercy, in your love for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God, I pray that that Realization of what our salvation means and what it means that we were far from you, we were dead in our trespasses, and you have changed us because of your mercy. We memorized it, but God, being rich in mercy, because you are so overwhelmingly full of mercy. Even when we did not deserve it, you saved us. You gave us Life, Not because we measured up, not because we did anything, not because we were able to demonstrate some level of righteousness or some understanding of the law. Because as we continue, even, even as we strive to, to meet your standards, we have failed in at least one area and thus are guilty of all of it. We do not meet the standard. God, I just pray that we as your church would, would again just be so comforted and reminded of the mercy that you have shown us.
and call us to be a people who show that kind of mercy. Not as we judge who deserves that mercy, but kind of equal opportunity mercy distributors. Opportunities to just declare the glorious grace that we have received from you and and demonstrate how that has played out in our lives to any who you will put in our path who are able to hear it. God, I pray for those in here who are unsaved, who've heard the words of this mercy and maybe even seen some of it played out, but but have not received it. That, That you would like we read, that you would write it on their hearts now, that you would give them understanding of what it is that they need to, to know this level of mercy, to know this level of, of, of grace, of love. And God, I just pray that you would complete that work, that you would finish what you started until, until all is accomplished, this, this, this prayer that you would, you would come back and you would make things right forever. God, we pray that you would accomplish that work. But until that time comes, God, I pray that that you would make us into a people who represent you well, who don't relax on small portions of the law that seem less significant, but rather hold, hold all of the standards of righteousness and holiness that you've called us to in high esteem knowing that they all flow from those two ideas that that we should love you and love others with everything that we can. Make us into those kinds of people. In Jesus' name.